Hello everyone, once again, welcome to A Reason for Hope, A Reason for Hope, in case this is your first time with us, is an hour-long live broadcast. We're broadcasting live on several online platforms, which I'll be going over in just a moment. And it's guided along by your questions on the Bible. You can send in your questions on the Bible to those platforms, various chat functions that we have, and we'll receive those questions. And we have some wonderful guests here who will help you navigate the Word to find the answers to those questions. So it might be a question on a verse or passage of Scripture that you've come across and you're wondering, what on earth does that mean? We can help you out with that. Or maybe something you're going through in your life, you'd like a biblical perspective. Life is full of decisions and directions. And uh, maybe you want some help navigating that in terms of what uh, God would want from you and how he would guide you along. Uh, maybe even other worldviews and religions as they relate to Christianity. Uh, maybe contradictions that you've heard in the Bible, anything along those lines, as long as it's an honest question, and as long as you know that we are going to use the Bible to find the answers, not our opinions or ideas, but as accurately as we possibly can with God's help, we want to share the Word with you today. So do send in your questions. Uh, you're very welcome to do so. My name's Dave Robson. I'll be on those uh, platforms with you hosting today as your questions come on in with us today on this uh, Wednesday, November 22nd it is at the time of our broadcast. We have Pastor Scott Richards here, who's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, where we're broadcasting from. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Good. It's good to see you. Busy day on the interwebs, but we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh. Do you have an update for us today? Oh, do I have an update? Oh, do, <laughs> do, I do I ever? Do I ever. Well, good. Also with us, Pastor Sean Richards, of course. How are you doing, sir? contemplating whether or not voicing the difference between Black Friday and maybe Gray Wednesday would be a good <laughs> reference or not. Gray Wednesday? Yeah. yeah just disillusioned yeah. by what's immediately in our future. Yeah, just stay away from Pink Thursday. I think that's, I don't know what that is, I just made it up. But. That's Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh yes, it is, yes. Well, thank you both for being here. We appreciate you and your faithfulness. It's our privilege. Your love of the word and love to share it. And we're glad that you are here. Uh, as I mentioned, Reason for Hope is a live broadcast. We broadcast live to you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. And it's an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. So keep that in mind when you're trying to find us. That will help you out on all of those platforms, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, and uh, check out our website. We have lots of events. We have support groups, of course, Sunday services. We have a Wednesday evening service as well. If you're in the Tucson area looking for somewhere to worship and get in the Word, you're more than welcome to come and check us out here, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. And our website's a good home base for you. It's our website, so we have you know the most control over that as opposed to some of the other social media platforms. Of course, we don't own those. Uh, so <laughs> calvarychristianfellowship.com is a good, uh, good home base for you if you go to that watch live tab <clears throat> that will take you to our live page where we stream all of our live events we try to stream everything we do uh, pretty much here our services and a reason for hope and also even our men's breakfast we don't stream the bacon but we stream the teaching portion and women's events and all that kind of stuff these days everything is streamed online so you can go to that page ccftucson.online.church or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com but when we're offline, you'll see a schedule of upcoming events. There might be something there that interests you. You can join us uh, for and a countdown to our next event. But when we're online, as we are right now and live, um, you'll see the video. You can sign in with a username and then send your questions in through the chat function that appears right there. And I'll be right there with you 
momentarily. Facebook.com slash CCF Tucson. We're live on Facebook as well, or just search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. And you can send your question through the chat function that's attached to the video where we're streaming live. Don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that. If you would like to pass on this ministry to someone else, your friends group, we have an app as well for your mobile device. Once again, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. That's our app for our church here. Uh, we have archives um, of messages. We're currently going through the book of Acts on Sunday and the book of Ezekiel Wednesday evenings. We've been doing special messages, though, um, over the last handful of weeks, doing prophecy update as uh, there's so much obviously going on in the world, in uh, Israel and the Middle East as it pertains to biblical prophecy and end times. So we've been in a series tonight. We have a special Thanksgiving message as well. Um, so you can join us live through the app and it will be on our archive as well. So check it out. You'll find uh, the books of the Bible. You can listen to old messages and even watch them as well. So lots of stuff on our app, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. And we have a channel on Roku and Apple, Roku and Apple TV. It's easy for you to say. As well, if you'd like to watch us on your big screen, if you have that capability. On YouTube, we are live as well. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel to look for on YouTube. A Reason for Hope. That's a good place for a media archive as well. Whenever we go live, it archives for us. If you go to that live tab, you'll see um, all of our past events. If you missed a show or you want to rewatch a question for your own study, um, it's all right there for you on YouTube. Uh, once again, we would uh, love it if you would subscribe and like and click on the notification bell and all that good stuff on YouTube if you would. Pastor Scott here is on Twitter. As there's so much going on, uh, it's a great way to get immediate updates. He posts his commentary on world events and uh, his reactions to that, things from a biblical perspective as well. Scott R4H is his handle, Scott letter R number four letter H. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor Scott on Twitter, if you're on the Twitter platform or X or whatever they're calling themselves these days. We're on Rumble as well, a relatively newer platform. If you're on Rumble, uh, a reason for Hope Bible Q&A. We're not live, but we post video content there as well. And our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. You're welcome to uh, send us a question through that means as well. Welcome if you're listening to us on the radio, Reach Radio, or another radio affiliate. If you're on your drive time, do drive carefully. It's kind of crazy out there, being the beginning of the holidays here. Uh, lots of people on the road, so do be safe. Keep in mind that on the radio, you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. We're not live with you on the radio, but all those other platforms, we are live as can be, so anything can happen. But questionsforhope at gmail.com. You're welcome to shoot us an email there with your question. We'll get to that on our next show. So wherever you're joining us, we are very, very glad that you're joining us. Please do send in your questions on one of those platforms, however you're joining us, and we will get to those a bit later in the show today, Lord willing. Yes. Well, with all that said, said <laughs> <laughs> let us pray and dedicate this time to the Lord. What do you think? Is that a good idea? I think that would be awesome. Yeah, Sean, would you like to pray okay. today? 
Yeah, you. Yeah, you. <laughs> you. <laughs> Over there in the blue shirt. <laughs> Just admiring some spelling here. Okay. Dad, thank you that we have the chance to be here. Please fill us with your spirit that we can speak with your voice as much as your truth. Allow your people to be ministered to and have the same filling of your spirit to be able to receive your word and apply it with joy to their lives. We're taking this day to be thankful. We want to recognize all the good that we have in you, starting with the opportunity to share your word in this broadcast. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It's true. Well, before the update, Sean and I were talking about uh, with the holidays, you know, kicking off tomorrow with Thanksgiving. There's lots of questions usually coming about Christmas and whether mm. it's a pagan holiday, if we should celebrate Christmas even, if we should decorate Christmas trees and all that kind of good stuff. So for any um, people out there that might be wondering what should be the Christian response to Christmas, is it a pagan holiday? Uh, not even remotely. When we're talking about the is holiday pagan, it's usually coming from a reactionary internet craze that either owes its origins to Alexander Hislop and his revisionist history, or the oh, nonsense of basically not separating the context of a certain practice or tradition and the content of what's being done. For example, when people say that uh, a Christmas tree is a pagan altar because pagans at one time in history also put something shiny on a tree or wood-based surface, they're missing the point as to A, why we're doing these things, and B, that those things were done in the first place being even true. So when we're talking about is this pagan, is this isn't pagan, first of all, trust but verify if something is being done in the name of in the name of paganism, then obviously we should check our hearts as the motivation behind this, although one shudders to imagine the context in which a Christian would want to honor, you know, Odin or Thor or whoever they're associating with the holiday of Christmas. Same thing with Sol Invictus or whatever. Obviously the reason why Christians are doing these things is not to honor these pagan deities. Why you're doing something matters as much as what you're doing if it's not overtly sinful. If they say, well, it's idolatry, it's centering an object, something in creation like a pine tree, around the idea that God has given us something tangible in history. And of course, the bad logic behind that is going back and forth. Do we have a reference point that causes us to remember God's faithfulness in the person of Jesus? Are you making the body of Jesus born on quote-unquote December 25th your idol? Obviously, that's silly, but if we're going to have a representation of something that reminds us of a greater reality, then the question needs to be, why? Secondly, is it true or not? When it comes to people who don't want to celebrate Christmas, you know, there are Scrooges in every you know, walk of life, I suppose, but it should be as unto the Lord. One man esteems one day above another, another man esteems every day alike. But when it comes to the, and I'll say this without hesitation, outright dishonesty that some people will go to in order to dissuade people from the well-intended avoidance of pagan ceremonies being prevalent in Christian circles, well, let's just go through the list. First off, when people cite the book of Jeremiah chapter 10 and say that it's in reference to Christmas trees, the best place to go whenever a passage of scripture is being, I won't even say misrepresented, but being referenced, is to not take their word for it. Actually go to the passage. This is chapter 10. And verse 2, Thus says the Lord, Do not learn the way of the Gentiles, nor be dismayed at the signs of heaven, 
the Zodiac, for the Gentiles, nations other than Israel, are dismayed at them, for the customs of the peoples are futile, for one cuts a tree from the forest, and they'll usually stop there and say, see, the customs of the pagans are to cut trees down. Mm. Well, we shouldn't do that as Christians. In fact, we should be cold all winter and not put anything in our fireplace. Now, obviously, they're referencing the Christmas tree, but the problem is it goes on to describe what they're doing with this tree. The work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold, fasten it with nails and hammers, so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. So they would note the nails that we use to hold the tree upright, the gold, the silver, the ornaments that decorate the tree are a pagan action. The customs of the nations that Jeremiah is being told is not only pagan, but it's not what he would have for his people to be doing, not just in Israel, but also among God's people by extension. They apply this principle. Now, all well intended, but what is the workman with the axe crafting? Is it the tree in of itself? Is the tree being decorated? Is the tree the idol, or is the tree being made into an idol? And you could go on to read the rest of the chapter and note that it's a point of contrast between God and the um, idols of the nations that can neither see nor hear nor walk. This is a reference back to Jeremiah, where they are crafted not just to be trees, but to be images, to have eyes. Generally, trees, at least the ones I see around Christmas, don't have eyes, but they cannot see. They don't have ears. But these idols do, apparently, yet they cannot hear. They don't have feet, yet apparently (laughs) this one does. They cannot walk. What's being done with the wood is to make an idol. Now, there are grounds for people to condemn Asherah poles, but once again, it didn't stop with just the tree. The point of the pole was that they would graft, uh, I guess, images for immature audiences only into them in order to inspire those kinds of thoughts and environments. And then they'd model those things out around the pole. But the point being made is this, if that's what you're doing around your Christmas tree, I definitely recommend finding something else to do with the holiday season. But if you're just putting it up in order to commemorate the Christmas season, then the question is where did that come from? Well, is it true that pagans had some affiliation with trees in accordance with their worship? Yes, but not specifically the evergreen tree. The, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The Druids were a word literally taken from Old Norse that meant oak seer. Not evergreen, not pine, not palm, oak seers, because it was the strongest and heaviest tree. They associated that with Odin or Thor or whoever they happened to be worshiping that day of the week. So the idea needs to be understood truth matters. And if we're making out these holidays to be representations of things that they, A, never were, and B, aren't presently, then we need to consider our perspective on them in the future if the past and present aren't on our side. Uh, Likewise, people would say, well, you know, Santa Claus and all the controversy around that. Well, St. Nicholas of Myra is a Christian bishop. Just putting that out there. 
Uh, there's uh, dubious, but I still think amusing records of him being present at the Council of Nicaea, which was true, but that when Arius, who is a proto-Jehovah's Witness, believe it or not, uh, was hearing his distortions and twistings of the Scripture, he punched him in the face for <laughs> the appalling heresy that he was committing and the dishonor he was placing towards God and calling him less than what he revealed him to be. So, yeah. Santa Claus punched a heretic at the Council of Nicaea. Have that uh, on your next Coca-Cola ad. But the modern presentation of him is based around Sinterklaas, which was my ancestors, a Dutch representation of St. Nicholas of Myra, and the uh, basically bringing of the Dutch immigrants, especially in New York after the American Revolution, was to basically make him more commonplace. And until, I think, the late 80s or late 18 or 1900s um his coat was brown in accordance with the stereotypical appearance of a dutch man and they changed it to red because of a coca-cola ad mm. that's it so if you're gonna say oh that was uh, that was odin you know ryan riding schlepnir well schlepnir was a horse not a reindeer it had eight legs not a red nose, and, of course, uh, other features that I won't get into, but the point being made is that people that want to play fast and loose with these things aren't representing reality. The same is true for Thanksgiving. It's honoring an American holiday, recognizing a time where Christians were able to have a temporary ceasefire with pagans in their environment, and, of course, were able to enjoy this feast after a very pronounced time of famine that cost a lot of lives. Something to be thankful for and based on Christian principles, which we'll get into more in a moment. We see some questions themed around that. We talk about Veterans Day. It's specifically recognizing the sacrifices that were made by those who have served in the United States. It's not pagan for there to be a military because militaries also existed in pagan nations. That's silly. If we're asking the question is what we're doing, ask also why. If you aren't comfortable with celebrating Christmas, make sure it's for truthful reasons, not reasons that have been manipulated and twisted in order to gain better followings and more, you know, sensational views. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when it comes to your reasons for celebrating anything this holiday season, make sure that it's done as unto the Lord. Don't give Satan over everything that's been associated with or distorted by him at one point, because God's the one who created all these things. He's given us this day where we can daily have the opportunity to be thankful, and if we have one more day a year that even causes everyone else to get in on the joke, then I think we're all the better for it. So, Merry Christmas, <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, Happy Veteran Veterans Day, Whatever it's going to be, just make sure that, and again, I say this often, you hear the words pagan holiday, check that out, verify their sources, actually read what they're referencing if they even provide you that far, because nine times out of eight, they're lying to you, and that is something that I'm willing to go to the mat for. Now, speaking of uh, grappling combat and awkward positions, uh, we also want to get into a brief uh, Israel update. I'm not sure how prophecy. brief, because there's a lot of stuff that's been going on, but uh, let's, uh, let's launch on in. Uh, probably the biggest news that has come down uh, to date is that Israel has entered into an agreement with Hamas to uh, conduct a 96-hour, four-day ceasefire in exchange for the release of 50 of the women and children hostages uh, that are held by Hamas 
in uh, their terror tunnel complexes. Uh, this is in exchange for Israel releasing nearly 150 women and children, by children, uh, what we're talking about are 17 and 18 year olds, held in Israeli jails. Now, at first blush, people say, oh my goodness, uh, Israel's holding women and, and children, 17 and 18 year olds, in their jail. Well, all of these individuals who are going to be released have been convicted in a court of law of attempted murder. Uh, they are all terrorists. Uh, and so uh, we're not talking about um, you know, comparing you know, apples with apples here. Uh, we're talking about individuals who are completely innocent, who were kidnapped, and we are talking about individuals who deserve to be in jail for their murder, murderous proclivities. So uh, that uh, agreement was entered into with the main motivation that Israel respects life and they will do everything that they can to be able to preserve life. And uh, so this, uh, again, uh, the initial uh, breach of it is, uh, as, as we mentioned, four days. Uh, the prisoners are to be released uh, in uh, bits and pieces, like 10 at a time. But uh, supposedly after the four days, 50 total prisoners will be released. There is a stipulation in the agreement that if uh, the ceasefire holds, or if Hamas is willing to release more prisoners, that they can, in a sense, buy another day of ceasefire by releasing another 10 prisoners after this four-day four period of time. Uh, very interesting provision in this agreement was one insisted on by Hamas leader Yaha Sinwar, who, by the way, uh, back in 2014 was part of a prisoner exchange. He was held in Israeli jail, uh, for uh, killing uh, a couple of uh, Israelis in a terrorist attack. He was released and, well, he's back doing his normal thing again. But uh, Yahar Sinwar uh, insisted that uh, in order to enter into this agreement, Israel would have to halt uh, its presence of UAVs, uh, again, drones, unmanned aerial vehicles, in Gaza airspace for six hours each day during the ceasefire, uh, and uh, Israel agreed to that particular provision. Well, at first, eyebrows were severely raised at that sort of thing. Well, won't that just allow uh, Hamas to uh, be able to retrench and uh, be able to uh, get away with uh, murder as far as uh, that is concerned? Well, uh, not so much. Uh, the uh, uh, representative spokesman uh, for the IDF and the Sheen Bet, which is Israel's security agency, stated that uh, the presence of UAVs or the absence of them, although they're a useful tool, is not the only intelligence gathering capability that they have and will have at their disposal even the ceasefire days. The official said we are, will not be blind and will know what is happening on the ground. So what this uh, ended up being was a face saver for people like Yaha Sinwar, who have basically had their hat handed to them over the previous days of this operation. Israel's been pretty much having their way with destroying uh, the uh, infrastructure of Hamas. Uh, we found out as well uh, the uh, controversy that uh, happened uh, over the Al-Shiwa hospital uh, where uh, Israel came in and they said that there was a massive uh, command and control center under uh, this particular hospital. Uh, 
initially, there wasn't a whole lot found there. And the press said, oh, you see Israel intelligence, they missed it. This wasn't really a command and control center. It was just a hospital. But hold on just a second. The more Israel searched around the hospital, the more they began to get into the lower layers of the hospital. They found it was literally bristling with weapons. Uh, they found that there were a number of terror tunnels that went in and out of this particular facility. And by terror tunnels, um, there is a uh, really fascinating clip that uh, our good friend Amir Serfati uh, uh, broadcasted on his uh, Telegram page that showed uh, the extensiveness and uh, the infrastructure involved there. You know, again, huge bathrooms, conference rooms, things along this line were underneath uh, this uh, particular hospital. So everything that Israel said this hospital was, as far as being a cover for terroristic activities, was absolutely verified at that particular time. So Israel is looking at entering into this. It is supposed to uh, be implemented by, uh, by Friday. Tomorrow uh, at 10 a.m., the 150 uh, prisoners from Israeli jails will be released. Uh, the uh, exchange of the kidnap victims won't happen until Friday, and that is when that four-day period of time uh, will actually happen. Now, you know, once again, people say, you know, oh my goodness, you know, what if there's this ceasefire and then uh, Israel is not allowed to re-engage again because of pressure from the United States? Well, if that does in fact happen, then that is a huge victory for Iran and for Hamas, because although uh, there's no doubt that both of them suffered a bloody nose as far as the destruction of their infrastructure and uh, their weapons and so forth, uh, Hamas, their military terroristic wing, still survives. And almost like not getting all of the cancer out of the system, uh, it's going to come back and metastasize again. And so Muslims are famous for playing the long game. Uh, they try to be very patient about these sort of things. And if the West pressures Israel not to follow through and do what they have promised to do, that is to take out the military wing of Hamas in this venture, uh, it is going to be a victory uh, for Iran. However, the wild card is this. There's a fascinating uh, post uh, by an Israeli writer by the name of Michael Elgort. Uh, it was uh, published on uh, the Mossad website, believe it or not. Uh, the Mossad claims to be satirical yet awesome. That's their tagline there. Uh, but they've been uh, publishing on this particular website some really reliable information along this line. And Michael Elgort uh, wrote this. Uh, I'm personally hopeful that this ceasefire may last and 50 kidnapped Israeli civilians be returned to their loved ones. But I have fears that Hamas will breach this ceasefire again, as it always does. Some people on Twitter are rejoicing just because it's a ceasefire. People here sadly have short memory, but I don't. I remember 2014 in Hadar Goldin and that 72-hour ceasefire that lasted less than two hours before Hamas managed to regroup and breach it. And this may be their plan all along. Uh, well, we mentioned this, this, this uh, individual, Hadar Goldin. Hadar Goldin was a second lieutenant in the IDF uh, during this uh, dust-up that took place between Hamas and Israel back then. Uh, a ceasefire had uh, been uh, declared uh, through Egyptian negotiations, the assurance from Qatar and Turkey, confirmation from the UN. This is going to be a three-day truce after about 25 days of fighting. 
But then on Friday, August 1st, Israeli troops were marking a tunnel to be destroyed later in southern Gaza when a couple of Hamas terrorists emerged from an underground shaft together with a suicide bomber who killed himself with two Israeli soldiers. The terrorists abducted uh, Second Lieutenant Hadar Goldin, then 23 years old, dragged his body. By now, we know that he was dead through a network of tunnels towards Rafah. Uh, Israel announced uh, that the ceasefire was over. It was over just over 90 minutes after going into effect. So, uh, again, while Qatar and Turkey played a role in confirming Hamas's agreement to honor a ceasefire, as well as the UN, uh, it turned out it wasn't worth the paper that it was printed on. So, uh, again, uh, this writer, Michael Elgort, sums up by saying this, and I think he's uh, spot on. Yeah, paint me skeptic. Uh, but we saw what Hamas, how, what Hamas uses ceasefires for, to regroup and to commit attacks. Essentially, Hamas's ceasefire breach back then was a war crime called perfidity, and they may repeat it again because they are terrorists. The definition of perfidity, it is prohibited to kill, injure, or capture an adversary by resort to perfidity. Acts inviting the confidence of an adversary to lead and believe he is entitled to or obliged to accord protection of the rules of international law applicable in armed conflict with an intent to betray that confidence shall constitute perfidity under Article 37 of the Geneva Convention. Uh, so uh, the fascinating thing uh, was uh, Hamas has promised ceasefire before. The last ceasefire lasted uh, roughly 90 minutes how long this ceasefire will last is uh, another question entirely. But uh, very interesting how not only the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, uh, Sheen Bet, which is their security service, the rough equivalents of our CIA and the Mossad, all agree that this is a necessary step and is a possible way of removing uh, at least some of the hostages from captivity. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has gone on to uh, emphasize the fact that uh, all of the leaders of Hamas will be taken out by Israel. They are dead men walking as far as Israel is concerned uh, following the horrible atrocities uh, that had happened uh, there in the past. Uh, one other detail we wanted to get to, big dust up over a uh, incident in the Niagara Falls area in New York that uh, many were saying was a terrorist attack on U.S. soil. Uh, certainly seemed that way at the time. A uh, car or, you know, just uh, ran out of control going the wrong way, uh, breached uh, the gates of the uh, uh, border crossing between Canada and the United States, exploded, huge explosion, did a lot of damage. Uh, one border guard was uh, injured, not seriously taken to the hospital but nobody else was killed. Everyone was saying if this guy had gotten into the middle of the bridge and been able to blow it up, there would have been a huge loss of life. Well, uh, again, uh, there were early reports uh, from uh, a number of uh, reputable news services that this particular car was loaded, quote unquote, with explosives. Turns out it was not. Uh, there is a lot of debate going on as to exactly what was going on in this set of circumstances, you watch the video that they have of uh, this particular incident. It's pretty wild. It reminds me a little bit of the uh, opening of like that old program, The Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. You know where they're always jumping over things with their car. Mm -hmm. um, you see this car in the, the corner of the picture, literally taking off, getting airborne. Yeah, you know, at least ten or fifteen feet high in the air. 
uh, it lands and then it explodes. Uh, there are those who believe that uh, either this person was maybe drunk on drugs, who knows what was going on there. They do not believe the size of the explosion would constitute the same kind of explosion you would have if the car was loaded with explosives. So people are very skeptical about all of this. There were early reports even of a uh, Iranian passport being found at the scene of uh, the, the car crash. But we don't have any kind of confirmation on all of that. Uh, I guess uh, the, the lesson to be learned in all of this is people are kind of on edge and people are asking, well, when are we going to see terrorism come to the United States? I, I believe it's inevitable. Sooner or later, we are going to see that sort of thing. And I think it's a testimony to uh, the FBI and our intelligence services that more of this thing does not happen. The other side of it uh, may very well be that uh, a lot of these terrorists will not act uh, unless uh, they're given direct orders by their upper-ups. And by their upper-up, I think all roads, or at least most of them, all lead back to Tehran, to the Iranians. The last thing the Iranians want to do at this particular juncture is have a major terrorist attack on the United States. Why? Because we have not one but two carrier groups sitting uh, within maybe, well, 45 minutes of their borders. Uh, they, they don't want to stir the pot at this particular time. That's why I'm really skeptical of the fact that this would be a terrorist attack. When it suits their purposes, I think we will see uh, terrorist attacks. Would we see lone wolf radicalized Muslims who believe that by dying in jihad they guarantee their place to heaven? Doing something like this independent of being uh, directed by, say, a, a state sponsor of terrorism could happen. Uh, you know, crazy things like this happen all the time with the in massive insecurity of our borders uh, that we have right now and the fact that uh, there was discovered a few years ago it's shut down now but a hamas training camp uh, south of uh, juarez in mexico uh, i would say that uh, in a sense we are on borrowed time all this just to say pray for the peace of jerusalem Pray for Israel, that uh, their leaders would be wise. Pray that the hostages are released unharmed and unhurt. Pray for Jewish people who are more and more the victims of anti-Semitism uh, coming out in its full flower in this world today. Uh, God said he would bless those who bless the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and curse those who curse them. And yes, pray for the United States, that we would remain stalwart, uh, allies of Israel because, again, that, that blessing of those who bless Israel may be one of the reasons we've been covered so far. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I'll mention, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I was unable to get Facebook stream on my laptop, but when I look at it on my phone, it's right there. So apologies if you're struggling to uh, view us on Facebook. Are you guys okay with Facebook? Yeah. Have you brought it up? Huh? Maybe it's just my... I've been telling Bo I need a new laptop, so... Maybe I get that for Christmas. But if you have problems, I'm sorry about that. Hopefully you've uh, found us on another channel. If you haven't, then it's pointless me saying anything because you're not hearing me. But um, hopefully that was just a problem for me over here, technical problem. Um, some more questions coming on in. Thank you, Pastor Scott, for that update and keeping us uh, apprised of all that info. Uh, question from Maggie. How can we minister to Christians who are caught up in conspiracy theories and overwhelmed with fear about things beyond their control? 
Well, I think the last three words are key in that, beyond your control. Um, Two passages always that come up with these, maybe three, if you want to throw Matthew 6 into the midst. But Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9 notes, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the God of all peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Therefore, brethren, whatever things are noble, whatever things are true, whatever things are lovely, good report, praiseworthy, those things meditate on these things and the god of peace will be with you now that's important for someone who again kindred spirits when it comes to paranoid proclivities when you see a world that gives you fewer and fewer reasons to hope the best for things going on around you you fill your head with things worth being worrying about and of course you're going to remain worried and you're going to find other things that are going to make you worried because you have every reason to worry you've been filling your mind with these things on the other hand if you are as is per the holiday season looking to recognize the good that's the definition of thankfulness by the way looking to recognize the good even if the only good thing that you can focus on in your life is the fact that god has revealed himself in history the things that are good noble, just, lovely, a good report, pure, those things. You can focus your person, your intention, your mind on the things of this world and always have something more to worry about. You can focus on the person of Jesus and what he has the opportunity to do in your life today, and then you're not going to be ruled with what Paul called in 2 Timothy 1.7, a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Mm. If you're focusing on what's going wrong, and there is plenty of material, it's going to make you goofy. But if, on the other hand, you have the opportunity to focus on Jesus, we could use that all the more as we see the day approaching. Yeah. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite scriptures when this stuff comes up, boy, does it come up. You know, and a lot of it is interesting these days. It's tied into uh, anti-Semitism, you know, that everything is a Jewish cabal. Uh, You know, the Rothschilds, the Bilderbergers, all these uh, nefarious... Jewish conspiracies, the protocols of the elders of Zion, uh, these sort of things are getting um, traffic even in Christian circles. And, uh, you know, conspiracy, the Illuminati, you know, you name your uh, conspiracy group, the World Economic uh, Foundation, they're pretty upfront about the fact they're a conspiracy. But uh, one of the scriptures that always comes to mind when this stuff comes up is in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 11. There we read, For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, do not say a conspiracy concerning all this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him shall you hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, what, what is this passage saying? Well, first of all, um, buying into conspiracy theories, nothing new. It's, it's always been something that kind of scratches this sort of fallen itch that we have to be able to blame, say, what's going on in this world to unseen nefarious powers and so forth. And, and uh, you know, it gets a lot of clicks on the internet, but I've always been kind of taken aback and by that in, in, in this sense. Okay, uh, let's uh, just assume that there is this handful of uh, awful people, this cabal, this uh, you know, uh, powerful group, shadowy 
but uh, powerful that is pulling all the strings and controlling everything. What can you and I do about that? Uh, absolutely nothing, right? Uh, there's nothing we can do to thwart their plans. They're just too big. They're just too bad. They're just too well-heeled. They're just too powerful, right? So if we can't do anything about it, why are we burning our stomach linings worrying about it? Uh, like you've mentioned, Sean, you know, just, you know, there's that old saying that today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Now you know what you were worried about. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, you, you, can, you can burn a lot of energy, uh, adrenaline. You can invest a lot of your attention uh, to these things. And guess what you're not doing? You're not studying the Bible. You're not spending time in prayer. You're not, uh, say, getting together with somebody who needs encouragement. You're not sharing your faith with someone who's on the outside looking at a relationship with God. You're just, you know, again, you know, the, the guy with the whiteboard with all the little uh, yarn things and all the, th the conspiracies going on. Yeah, that, that's who you become. And that's what the Lord says here. Don't uh, be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. I love this. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary. Uh, you know what? I know one person who's bigger than the Rothschilds. I know one person who's bigger than the Bilderbergers. I know one person who's bigger than the Illuminati or the Jesuits or, or whoever you want to name. Uh, and that's God. And all things are working out according to his plan and according to his purpose. And so when I find myself getting kind of worked up about these sort of things, spend a little bit too much time on the internet and so forth, uh, the, the thing that I do is, is this. I say, okay, uh, let's take a step back. I know a lot of Christians, for instance, burn all kinds of effort and energy on the internet talking about whether the moon landing happened or not. Who cares? What difference could that conceivably make within our lives? Flat Earth, what difference does that make? Yeah. Either way, uh, all it is is a distraction, and that's what I really want to emphasize to you. You know, Satan knows that he can't defeat what the Lord wants to do within our lives, but he can certainly distract us and delay us from being able to uh, enter into those things the Lord wants to do in our lives. Why? By how? By, by getting us invested and involved in a whole lot of nothing, really is, is what it comes down to. So if you start to feel antsy, you start to feel angry, you start to feel anxious, uh, you know, I just think the best thing to do is take that as God's not so subtle tap on the shoulder saying, you know, you're getting your eyes off of me right now. And how's that working for you? You know, God said, I will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed upon me because he trusts in me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm not experiencing God's perfect peace, one of two things are happening. My mind isn't stayed on God, it's stayed on something else. Or I'm not trusting God. I'm looking at the stuff that someone in a conspiracy theory about space monkeys from the planet Stinky Pinky or something like that. Uh, you know, and that, that's got me all worked up and fearful. I'm not trusting God at that point. You know, I discovered something. The older I get, the more I realize Time's not an unlimited resource. I only have 24 hours in a day. Uh, kind of like the old thing about your day is kind of like a coin. Uh, you can spend it and just get through another day. You can waste it or you can invest it. And if we invest each day walking with Jesus, walking hand in hand with him, we're going to be just fine. So, you know, that's why I don't get too jazzed up uh, about uh, conspiracy theories. Yeah, very good. Thank you for that. Thanks, Maggie, for that question hope that helps you out with that issue there a uh, question from mac d 
What is the Olivet Discourse? Uh, Great Tribulation. Was this the prophecy of the Holocaust? Uh, Zechariah, two-thirds of Jews killed. If their days were not shortened, none would be saved. Yeah, that passage well, that's, in that's the Olivet a, Discourse. Yeah. Well, let me start. The Olivet Discourse is called such because in Matthew chapter 24, we are told that uh, after Jesus had taken a tour, in a sense, of the temple precincts and the disciples were going on and on about the stones and the ornate uh, decorations, uh, he said, uh, you see these stones, not a single one will be left upon another. All is going to be torn down. And so he went out on the Mount of Olives. If you go with us in our tour of Israel in 2025, you'll get to walk on the Mount of Olives, uh, actually. Uh, I'm hoping that we get a chance to go up more over towards the area of Bethany because that's where Jesus actually departed earth. And I'd love to see exactly where that is. Mm. So we're going to try to work that into our tour, I think. But on the Mount of Olives, uh, an area where Jesus would go when he would go out of Jerusalem, probably up towards Bethany because that was the home of pop quiz oh no <laughs> okay okay you're going blank what was the the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha they had a place up there in Bethany so uh Jesus would often go up that direction go out of the city stay in that general area while he was up there with the the temple mount in the background his disciples said what will be the sign of these things when will all these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and so Jesus launches in, and that's why they call it the Olivet Discourse. Now, in the Olivet Discourse, is that talking about the tribulation period? Largely, but not entirely. There's a distinction there, isn't there, Sean? Uh, big. And when we're talking about a prediction of the Holocaust, this would be what we'd call not just a, a very peculiar form of preterism, the belief that all oh, these things have all been fulfilled in history, but also a very, very serious mishandling of some very important things that we are told about the end times. There are things that we don't know. There's things that we intentionally don't know. There's things that we don't have enough information to come to a definitive conclusion on. There's also things that we are told, but because of right. assumptions made before reading the text, become controversial for some reason. When it comes to, and you mentioned the passage, and I'll get that here specifically, but you mentioned the mathematics of it, Zechariah, I looked up on the Jewish Virtual Library uh, after the ads are closed, uh, the Jewish population of the world from the year 1880 all the way to modern day. Uh, from 1880 to, I think, if the math's correct here, 1931, the Jewish population of the world doubled from about 8 million to just over 16. Then, when it was held again 10 years later, I guess not 10, six years later, in 1945, it dropped by 6 million. I don't think I need to tell you what happened there, but in case there are Muslims listening or uh, Marxist, the Holocaust, that an actual event where six million Hebrews were systematically exterminated by the world ruling power of Nazi Germany, National Aryan Socialist Party. Now, when that drop took place, we know how many Jews were on the planet at that time, and noting all of Israel, well, there wasn't a state of Israel at this time. There were uh, people who were following the manifesto of uh, Theodore 
Herzog was his name? Herzl. Herzl, thank you. Um, and the Zionist project where they were legally purchasing property from the now collapsed Ottoman Empire, and the Arabs were more than happy to sell it at an exorbitant rate, and of course persecute them all along the way under the law of dimitude. But they were living in the land. The majority of Hebrews were living worldwide. If we look at the math, two-thirds of Israel wasn't killed. It wasn't even close to half. If we do the math, 17 minus 6 isn't 50%, 33%, or 66% for that matter. It was a horrible event, but it doesn't fulfill that prophecy. So making that point of reference, the Olivet Discourse speaking of unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive, in tandem with other Old Testament prophecies that two-thirds of Israel would be exterminated. That's what's referring to the abomination that causes desolation. See also Daniel 9 through 12, see also Matthew 24, and others. But the point being made is this, Mac, when we're talking about what we're told, we can verify those things, and if it doesn't match the facts, then it's not what was being talked about. If we go off Zechariah alone, we can't associate that with the Holocaust. Now, there are, I think, well-fleshed-out ideas uh, regarding handlings of the prophecy made at the end of Deuteronomy by Moses, where details regarding the Holocaust were detailed, but more in a broad sense as far as the consequences of being handed over to nations that are not only going to not have your best heart in mind, but are going to be adopting the heart of Satan and will want to see you persecuted and exterminated, just like the Egyptians. That much is clear. But if we take a step back and ask other questions regarding the Olivet Discourse, regarding the nature of the Great Tribulation, Jacob's trouble, the final week of Daniel, take whatever title you want. It's all centering around a time of God's wrath. What we saw in World War II was a manifestation, a foreshadowing of man's evil gone amok, but there was also, oddly enough, forces in this world that were willing to oppose it. During the tribulation, we'll see a unified effort where we won't see six million, but assuming we have about 17 million uh, Hebrews on the planet right now, we're noting, if we do the math on that, half of that would be, let's see, about uh, eight or so, and then talk on, tack on the fractions, carry the one, a lot of people not just from Israel, but worldwide. We're told in Revelation chapter 6 and 8, or uh, excuse me, 9, that thirds of the planet's population are going to be taken out at a time as a result of some of the plagues that are being poured out, and that's not including the Antichrist persecution policies that will be going on. So make sure that when we are given more information, we use it, not depend on less, in order to come to conclusions we'd like. Say, for instance, did you know that the Holocaust was predicted in Matthew 24? Hmm. It wasn't. There are passages that would note that as a consequence, but if we're talking about this, we're still awaiting something in the future because the details are much, much worse. Right, right. So in Matthew 24, I guess to sum up, we do see uh, Jesus answering both of the questions the disciples asked him. They wanted to know when the temple was going to be destroyed. So he does give them in a sense, some heavenly heads ups as to when the temple they were looking at was going to be destroyed, but immediately he leaps into the future. Why do we know this? Because among the other things that Matthew 24 describes is uh, a global conflagration. Uh, Jesus saying, unless those days have been shortened, no flesh 
would be saved. You know, in other words, uh, you know, the the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 and the destruction of the temple that went on there was a horrible, horrible thing. If you'd been there, over a million Jews died uh, by uh, estimates from Josephus and others in uh, that siege by the Romans. But if you were in Beijing, China at that time, you wouldn't have known it would have happened. Matthew 24 goes on and describes the return of Jesus being seen by all people at once. In other words, it will be a global phenomenon. So we do see that leaping forward into the future. Uh, you know, again, careful at the beginning because Jesus is answering their initial question, but then he takes them literally on a from here to eternity journey in Matthew chapter 24, culminating at his return to earth. Great stuff. Thank you. By the way, uh, we mentioned that um, potential terrorist attack in uh, Niagara Falls. Mm. Niagara. Uh, well, this is truth is stranger than fiction. I just had to share it with you guys because this gets really, really bizarre. Okay. CNN, take that for what it's worth, is now reporting that the driver of the vehicle that was claimed to be full of explosives and was a terrorist was in fact driven by a 56-year-old man who lived in a very upscale area in the Niagara Falls area and that he intended to go to a concert by the band Kiss that night. He was driving a $300,000 Bentley with his wife when this incident took place. Pre-partying? I don't know why you would drive the way the guy did and do what yeah. he did, but uh, suffice it to say, and, and I mean, in the most bizarre turn of events, like in the history of, you know, lately, anyway, uh, Paul Stanley, uh, the guitarist and one of the singers of Kiss, came down with a horrible case of the flu and the concert was canceled. Maybe he was mad about the concert being canceled. Maybe. You know those members of the Kiss Army. They're, they're yeah. pretty fanatical. Yeah, they're right, very dedicated. But, but isn't that just the times we live in? Yeah. It's just so bizarre. So, um, so there, bizarre. there you go. Don't ever accuse us of not trying to keep you on the cutting right. edge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not the kind of car you want to do that with. Uh, no. no. So. My goodness. Well, coming up at the end of the show here, but a question from, uh, from Larry. MacD, thank you for that, that question, by the way. hope that helps you out. Question from Larry. <clears throat> I have some questions about forgiveness. I have a friend who told me they will never forgive a particular individual, uh, but there is no hate there. My friend says God does uh, not for, uh, give forgiveness unless we ask him for it and show that uh, that forgiveness by repentance. This brings to mind how we put people out of the church for certain things when they are unrepentant. I didn't know how to respond. I've also heard someone say that you can forgive but not forget. I wanted to get your thoughts on these issues. So that forgiving and forgetting and... Yeah, it's, again, kind of a Sherlock Holmes approach we like to take. If you rule out the impossible, then the uh, all that's left is got to be the truth, no matter how improbable it seems. So elementary, my dear Watson, what ridiculous scenario do we have presented at face value? When people say, well, you don't forgive, God won't forgive you, they go to Matthew 6, 14, where it says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, that's a very 
black and white, straightforward, win or lose situation. And I think the best way to approach it is, what was the greater conversation? Also in statements of this entire conversation, which was the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus finished chapter 5, as we denote it, with, therefore you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So if we want to go the legalist route and say, unless we model ourselves perfectly after the nature of Christ, then Mm. we're not going to heaven, which is true to a point. But if this is in tandem with all of that, obviously it's following right after an instruction, something practical that the apostles could do, the model prayer. So if the question is, should Christians forgive, yes, or else hell, well, that doesn't sound right, at least the last three words of that statement. But if, on the other hand, we'd say, what's Jesus's prerogative, the one that we're to take seriously, he would make it a very black and white issue. Mm. I've forgiven you, therefore you ought to forgive. And we can see other instances of that, where, for instance, there was a man who owed a man a certain number of debts. He made a parable about all of this later in the same book and in the other synoptic gospels, where he was saying which one loved more, the one he forgave more. Mm. That's the point your love for God and God's love for you are always going to be out of balance because you'll never match infinity, at least this side of heaven. So the question is, how should we forgive? And the answer is, with God's help. Right. Because the nature of Christ is the only one that's going to be able to do it right. Mm-hmm. If we try to do it on our own, then we're going to, you know, consider factors of, I don't think it'd be wise to, you know, let this person in, or they're under church discipline, or all these kind of barriers with the half minute we have left. What's the best way to go about this? Well, I think the most important thing is to realize that uh, Jesus said he's the vine, we're the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. That includes forgive because the Lord wants us to be forgiving. It's a picture of Christ-like character. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, mm-hmm. even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 32 through 5.1. Uh, the Lord wants us to abide in a relationship with him where we share the overflow of what he does in us, not out of a lack. And that's when we put away silly games like, well, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. Or I have no animosity, but I'll never forgive that person. Jesus wants to take all that bitterness away. Amen. Thank you for that. Stick around 30 minutes. We're going live with a special Thanksgiving message for our service here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. Or come on down. If not, we'll see you on Monday for Reason for Hope. God bless. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word. One question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.